0: Welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you all about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, your host for today, and with me as ever is my co-host Barnaby King.
1: Greetings. Hello. Hello. And how are you? Yeah, I'm alright. Bit. I'm a bit tired. What? I mean, as our li- regular listeners will know, we uh, we weren't available last week. Yes, I'm really sorry, I was asleep. You were asleep and I've been starting my course. Yep. So, going to be a serious academic now.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, yes, apologies for missing last week, but we are
0: back. We are back. And I think it's time for us to go back to pre-revolutionary France.
1: Awesome. So, I'm assuming that because it's October, yeah. we are going to do a month of spooky and scary things <laughs> from history. No. No? No. Why could that be? Is there something else <laughs> going on in October?
0: Yes, there is, which is Black well, History Month. Wait, do, do, do
1: tell me what this thing go- is going on in October. It's Black History Month. Black History Month, you say? Yes. Oh my, that sounds like it's something that we should probably get involved with on our podcast.
0: We have already. We did last year.
1: Yes, we did. I know. <laughs> I don't know if we did the year before that. Uh, I'm not sure we did. I think that was... That was early days of our that podcast. That was early I think days. that was still the bad mic.
0: <laughs> yes. Era. Thank goodness. We never offended any minorities by talking about them with the bad mics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: so, so yeah, we're going to talk about black history for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously we kind of occasionally touch on it. Anyway, this but I have been hanging on to a few since August, Ooh, basically. I've been hanging on to a doozy as well. Amazing.
1: <laughs> and- <laughs> it's great because I I have to say, sometimes it can be a bit of a scramble finding an episode to do and yeah. sort of be like, Oh, okay, there's this. We've kind of done that one already. Ah, oh, there's this. And then it's great to sort of come up with one and be like, that is going to be fantastic, and I'm going to be able to do it in a few months' time.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, So, I'm going to talk about one of the most perfect examples of a pre-revolutionary French gentleman Oh, nice And this is the Chevalier de Saint-Georges Ah, another Chevalier Another Chevalier Um, So, this Chevalier was a part of the Royal Court Okay He was a composer and a musician He played the violin Ooh. And he was also a leader of the opera Oh, okay he was a noted swordsman. oh And he was beloved by the ladies. Oh, of course. But he was forbidden from inheriting his father's titles. Okay. And also from marrying any women in his own social circles. Okay. Because of two reasons. He was too damn sexy. <laughs> Everyone was like, it would be a
1: crime to, you know, prevent him from going out and seducing all the women.
0: I mean... This is the time of Marie Antoinette. Everyone's seducing everyone.
1: Ah, oh, fair enough.
0: But he was illegitimate. Okay. And also, he was mixed race.
1: Oh, okay. Right.
0: Um, so, this is uh...
1: Shall I do the joke we always do in this sort of occasion? Go on, then. But, Amelia, black <laughs> people didn't exist before the 20th century.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, well... Luckily for us, or somewhat unluckily, we have colonialism to Yay! thank for the existence of the Chevalier de Saint-Georges.
1: Hooray! <laughs> so- our colonialism, what can't you do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, our Chevalier today yeah. uh, was born Joseph Bologna. Right. He was born in Guadeloupe. On the twenty fifth of December, seventeen forty five. Where is Guadeloupe? I'm gonna look it up because I don't know for sure. I feel like it's the Caribbean. Fair enough. God damn, it's one of those places that counts as a region of France. Oh right, which is making this <laughs> hard to find out. It is in the Caribbean. Yeah, but it still is part of France. Yeah. I get yeah. And in France, they don't believe in having colonies anywhere that is part of the French colonies is just France. Right, yeah. Because, of course, why not? I mean, I think a lot of places still do that sort of thing. I mean, I guess we kind of do with some places. Yeah, like I mean, Gibraltar. Gibraltar.
1: <laughs> and uh, Norway has Svalbard, which ad- admittedly is close. But <laughs> yeah. It is, you know... A separate bit far away I think there are some other things too oh okay
0: yeah fair I think, enough, I, think fair that, enough. I think
1: the Caribbean there are a few places that are you know technically still <laughs> colonies yeah
0: I guess so all right so Joseph Bologna's father was Georges Boulogne de Saint-Georges <laughs> no yeah <laughs> you want to get a few more Georges in there no the reason why he was called de Saint George was because he owned a plantation called Saint George
1: right okay. so he started
0: off being George Boulogne and then he bought Saint George plantation and became George Boulogne de Saint George Ah, right and it's getting increasingly hard to say that yeah
1: I, I, I was about to make a joke and then it was like my mouth just kind of stopped me <laughs> yeah it almost in it. protest at trying to do that do the george again
0: yeah. so george is a bit dodgy Oh, okay. Well, I mean, obviously, because he owned plantations. Oh, yes,
1: of course. Yeah. Um, sorry, I forgot our main guy isn't actually called George.
0: <laughs> no, our main guy is Joseph. Joseph. Joseph, as far as I can tell, is kind of fine by pre-French revolutionary standards. Right. Um, so, George owned plantations and impregnated the enslaved 16-year-old personal servant of his wife.
1: Right, okay, so a uh, nice light breezy topic for this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing's a bit odd, because I'm going to say, that's horrible. Yeah. Her name is Nanon. hmm But he also really cared about the resultant child, and he seems to have cared about Nanon as well. So it's all that kind of like, this is definitely a coercive relationship, yeah, which I'm not okay, it's okay with. it's still dodgy AF. It's still dodgy AF. At the same time, we're going to see... George B okay at fatherhood and that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's like, ugh. You know what?
1: You know what I'm remembering. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I never actually saw this. You've told me about this. Uh, it's that Vicar of Dibley episode with Herod, where he doesn't <laughs> yeah. want Herod to be a bad guy. <laughs>
0: so, but kill them gently. <laughs> kill them gently is my favourite. <laughs> yeah, the that's kids the like we love you, Herod. Yeah, they, like he gives the kids all sweets, and they're all like, "We love you, Herod." <laughs> oh, that's a great episode. But anyway, so. So Georges gave Joseph, his new child, his own surname. Right. And at the age of seven, he took him to France because he wanted the boy to receive an education. Okay. Two years later, he also brought Nanon to France, and they seem to have lived together as a family in an apartment. I don't know what happened to his wife at this point. That is interesting. It's interesting, right? Yeah. Hmm. Incidentally, when he died, he also left Nanon, like, um... A retirement fee, basically, so that she got paid like some money every year, like like a reasonable amount. Yeah, pension. Um, so yeah, could be worse is basically where we're at with young George. Well, Nanon, I am
1: going to enslave you, but (laughs) I will make sure you're taken care
0: of. God, do you remember the bits when we were talking about that guy who jewels a lot and had the great name? Cassius Marcellus Clay? Yes. Yeah. Cassius Marcellus Clay, when he gets really dodgy in his old age and, like, seduces that girl and is like, any one of you can take her from, like, that's what I'm imagining at this point. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, yeah. I don't think, he, he doesn't so far sound as
1: cool as Cassius Marcellus Clay, but then no one does. No, Georges is not as cool as Cassius Marcellus
0: Clay. Excellent. But Joseph might be up there. Ooh, nice. So, when he was 13, Joseph joined a fencing school. Right. And this was run by a Monsieur Boisseur, I think. I'm not sure on the pronunciation of that. Yeah. By the age of 15, he was already beating the best swordsman in France. Oh, damn. So like two years, just amazing. Yeah. By the age of 17, he was known for his speed and was basically beating everyone. Literally anyone who came up against him lost. Nice. Now. Well done, Joseph. Yeah he was really really good at fencing yeah and he became really known for this he
1: could put up a fence in about 10 minutes
0: (laughs) Ah, you know that's not
1: what i mean no he could sell stolen goods in 10 minutes
0: and you know that's not what i mean either he's fighting with a sword yay yay now he was suffering in france from being like treated in a racist manner yeah um We know that while he was still a student, he beat a fencing master in Rouen called Alexandre Picard, who had been mocking him and calling him Boisier's mulatto. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, a bit of horrible racism history for y'all y'all is that a mulatto is, like, an old term that was used for people who were mixed race. Yeah. Um, it comes out of the idea of mules, because mules are mixed between donkeys and something else. Or horses? I think it's donkeys yeah. and horses, yeah. Yeah. So, um, in France at the time, it was used as a technical term, as yeah. well, like a legal term, oh, wow. to define people who are mixed race. Oh, God. So, when Joseph came over to France at the age of seven, he was written down as Mulatto Joseph. Oh, God. Yeah. That's horrific. It's really awful. This Picard sounds like a bit of a twat. He was. And... Thank goodness he'll be uh,
1: vindicated by his descendants, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> the greatest captain of the USS Enterprise. Absolutely.
0: So this match was really important because it got bet on heavily by the public. Okay. And it got used as an opportunity to talk about slavery. Oh, wow. So opponents of slavery were betting on Bologna. Right, yeah. And people who were for slavery bet on (laughs) Picard's. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) What an amazing way to kind of decide this
1: very heavy, moral, ethical question of the time is like, we're going to
0: have a sword fight. Yeah. We're basically going to go back to trial by combat. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's where we're at, apparently. Um, so this was a really important coup for Bologna because he beat Alexandra Picard. Nice. Thus proving to some people that, you know, slavery is a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this shouldn't be your proof,
1: but <laughs> I wonder if he knew this was happening at the time or if this just kind of went on around him. <laughs> there's a, there's an episode of South Park where. Like, the children have been given eggs to look after, like, their children. Right. And it becomes this whole thing about whether or not gay people can get married. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic bit. Like, so two of the boys eventually get paired up. Right. And at the end, like, their teacher doesn't want them to succeed. Because so, then
0: they'll prove that gay yeah. people should get married? Yeah. Right, okay.
1: So he hires a hitman to go after the egg. <laughs> And eventually they sort of they reach these steps of I think the Capitol building. Right. And they're like, teacher, my egg is safe. <laughs> and the and like the congressman or whatever says, the egg is fine. Gays can get married. <laughs> <laughs> and the boys are just like, What? <laughs> I'm kind of imagining that. Okay. Like Joseph defeats his opponent and he's like, he's expecting his arm to be raised in triumph. And it is, and
0: as it is, they say, slavery is bad. <laughs> I mean, that would be great. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much Bologna knew about this, but his father was really proud of him. Nice. And rewarded him with a handsome horse and buggy. Oh. I know. It's like <laughs> buying us on a car oh. nowadays.
1: <laughs> yes, of course, son. I'm gonna give you my finest buggy. <laughs> Sorry, because he's a plantation owner. I can only imagine him being. From the southern states of America. Yeah, that's I know fair. he's from France.
0: He is. <laughs> I I don't know how you'd do that as a French accent as well, though. So let's not try it. Bonjour. Okay. <laughs> no. Um. So. Je m'appelle George. <laughs> so, when he graduated from school, mm-hmm. he became a gendarme du roi. So a gendarme nowadays is the police, police force. Officer, yeah. Um. But at the time, it meant an officer of the king's bodyguard. Oh, okay. So he became that and a chevalier as well.
1: Yeah, you probably do want the best swordsman as your bodyguard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. like
0: He had really made himself very famous about this. And as a result, uh, he was known as the Chevalier de Saint-Georges at this point. Right. Because he wasn't allowed his father's titles, but he was allowed to use that little suffix, um, de Saint-Georges, and he was allowed to be a chevalier. Okay. So he's this amazing swordsman. And then he also becomes an amazing musician. Of course. We don't know when he did this. <laughs> okay. But we do know that in 1764, a violinist called Antonio Lolli composed two concertos for him. Aww. Oh. And in 1766, a composer called François-Joseph Gossek dedicated a set of six string trios to him. Damn. So I'm just imagining, since we
1: don't know where he sort of started learning music, that there was like a big dinner held in celebration of him, you know, doing this big, like, winning this fencing match. Mm -hmm. And someone is like, oh, Joseph, have you ever tried to play the violin? And he's like, no, I haven't. I can't say that I have. (laughs) Because he's inherited his father's accent. Of course. Uh, And they're like, oh, you must try it. Look at this. Look at this. Look at him plays the violin and then he just immediately does a a fantastic (laughs) concerto and he's like well this isn't so difficult at all
0: well the thing is it does seem like he was known about in like musical circles as being a musician right but like the people in general didn't know about this okay because in 1769, um, he played as a violinist in Gossec's new orchestra, which was called Le Concert de Amateurs.
1: Oh, right, okay.
0: So he became basically the main violinist mm. in this orchestra, and he also became its concertmaster and conductor. Right. And people were apparently very shocked by this, or very surprised, because they genuinely didn't know that he played the violin. Right. I guess it's one of those moments, like when you see an actor suddenly turn out to be really good at something else. Yeah. Like Nick Offerman turns out to be really good at making canoes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I, I, I totally get you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, according to one source, the celebrated Saint-Georges, mulatto fencer and violinist, mm-hmm. I know, created a <laughs> sensation in Paris uh, when at the Concert Spirituel, he was appreciated not as much for his compositions as for his performances, enrapturing especially the feminine members of his audience. Oh my. I know. So, at this point, he's not just playing the violin yeah. and composer and uh, sorry, conducting. Yeah. And leading the orchestra but he is also um composing his own pieces as well.
1: Okay. I'm starting to imagine him now rather than like, you know, southern plantation owner. I'm just imagining Elvis.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is Elvis. Elvis. This is who he is. Elvis
1: with a sword.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so in 1773 he was made the director of the concert Amateurs. Right. It fell into a little bit of financial trouble um around the time of the american revolution oh okay uh, because the people who normally backed it started backing the american revolution instead and then they lost a load of money on it that makes sense yeah um so it got changed over to a different name at this point but it was still basically the same orchestra yeah um and once it was the new orchestra it started performing in various royal palaces around paris okay so this is like peak yeah Apparently, Marie Antoinette used to come to these concerts without warning.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: So just in case she turned up, the orchestra would wear court apparel for all of its performances.
1: (laughs) Then she'd turn up and just be like, where is that sexy bastard?
0: Yeah. I mean, probably. (laughs) So in 1776, there was a little bit of a scandal. It's called the American Revolution. (laughs) No, there was a scandal in the Paris opera circles. Oh, okay. So the Paris opera yeah. was looking for its next director. Mm-hmm. And Saint Georges was like an ideal candidate. Yeah. He does everything. Yeah. The man is so talented. Yeah. And he'll stab you if you say otherwise. Yeah, exactly. But according to Baron von Grimm's, <laughs> I know.
1: Well, he he sounds like a villain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the thing was that he used to just be a correspondence writer, right? So, as in, he used to write one of those little, like, little um oh leaflets saying yeah. about society. Okay, right, I get you. Like in um, what's that show? The sexy Jane Austen Bridgerton. show, Bridgerton. Thank you. <laughs> so he was. One You've of got the- a real blind spot for
1: the name of Bridgerton.
0: I. I can't deal with it. I I don't know know why. I know. (laughs) Anyways, so he wrote this leaflet. It was called Correspondence Littéraire Philosophique and Critique. Okay. And according to this, three of the opera's leading ladies presented a petition to the Queen, assuring Her Majesty that their honour and delicate conscience would never allow them to submit to the orders of a mulatto. Whoa. Right. Damn. Yep. So, this is obviously abhorrent. Yeah. And we cannot approve at all of how these women behaved. No. Especially because one of the ladies, Marie-Madeleine Grimaud, who was one of the dancers in the opera... Yeah had previously made sexual advances on the Chevalier. Oh, no. And she was spurned. (gasps) Oh, no. So it's like, Taylor's older time. She says, I can't possibly work with this man. He's absolutely the worst. Mm. Women do be tricksy like that. They do. Yes. As
1: we learnt from Shakespeare.
0: (laughs) So... Saint George heard about this, yeah, and apparently it would have embarrassed the queen to have to deal with this. Oh, okay. So he withdrew his name from consideration. Oh. But as a result of this, <laughs>
1: it just made him sexier in the eyes of the queen. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh my god, he's so considerate as well.
0: Well, it just made him a closer personal friend of the Queen. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. No, genuinely it did. <laughs> because what happened was that Louis the um took the opera back from the city of Paris. Right. So it became the King's Opera rather right. than the Paris's yeah. Opera. Um. And he said, I'm going to have it managed by my Intendant of Light Entertainments. Right. And following this, Marie Antoinette decided that she was going to just have private musical entertainments rather than public ones. And so she held them in the salon of her Petit Appartement de la Reine, which means the little apartments of the Queen.
1: I bet she did. In
0: Versailles. Ooh. And she limited... The sexiest
1: palace. (laughs)
0: I mean, it's pretty gaudy.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was sexy at the time. There's so
0: many mirrors.
1: Exactly. Mirrors and gold and diamonds just everywhere. <laughs> you can't move. You have to sort of crawl through the rooms.
0: <laughs> I mean, if that's what you're into, but also people used to poop in the fountains. So <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's what you're into. Sure, sure. So... Anyway, she limited the audience to only her intimate circle and a few musicians. I
1: bet they were her intimate circle.
0: Whee. And this meant that the Chevalier de Saint Georges probably played his violin sonatas with Her Majesty playing the piano.
1: Ooh
0: I know. So the thing is that this is like
1: that's exactly that scene from the Emma adaptation. Yes, it
0: (laughs) is. That's exactly that. Yeah. So you know how sexy that scene was? Yeah. That. Yeah. But with the ch- Chevalier de saint George, yeah. who I think is meant to be even more sexy than Mr. Knightley. That's true. Mm. So, so um, after the opera kind of failed, after this whole thing went down, mm-hmm. um, the Marquise de Montesson, who was the wife of the Duke of Orléans, mm-hmm. um, saw this as a great opportunity. Okay. Because she really wanted to have Saint-Georges as the music director of her own private theatre. Right. So he was really glad to do this because the Duke d'Orléans has always been basically the second in power to- compared to the throne. Right. Um, so this is like a really big deal. Yeah. Additionally, while he was there, he got to stay in an apartment in the Duke's mansion. Okay. That was like part of the deal. Yeah. And Mozart was living there too. Oh,
1: amazing.
0: So after Mozart's mother died in Paris, they let him stay at the mansion for a while.
1: It's the crossover you are all asking for. Yeah, I
0: know, right? So this is kind of exciting. Um, So they lived together for a few months. Delightful. And as well as being his sort of private composer and musician. Mm -hmm. Um, Saint-Georges was also employed by the Duke d'Orléans as lieutenant de la chasse of his vast hunting grounds with an additional salary of 2,000 livres a year. Okay. So he's doing pretty well for himself. He's, for some reason, a huntsman now, as well as being a swordsman and a musician. I mean, it makes sense to
1: me. Like, he can play the violin Mm -hmm. and he can use a sword. You've basically got an improvised bow there.
0: Oh, that's true. In fact,
1: no, you don't even need that. Violins use bows. (laughs) You can fire a sword with a violin bow. Perfect. Excellent. (laughs) Because that's how that works.
0: I mean, I've seen Looney Tunes. Exactly. That definitely happens at some point. Exactly. (laughs) We're all good here. So, while he was there, he wrote his second opera. The first opera had been a total flop. Oh no! I know this one. He called La Chasse.
1: <laughs> the first one was called "You're a seriously racist."
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently it just wasn't very. It, it just wasn't very good. Fair enough. Um, so apparently, when this one premiered, the public received the work with loud applause. Uh, they thought it was definitely superior to his previous work, mm-hmm. and they wanted him to continue writing comic operas, which he did. Oh, nice. And um, the problem was, though. That in 1785, the Duke of Orleans died. Right. So his patron is dead. Yeah. Now, normally, the Marquise, who was the one who actually employed him, yeah. would have kept going on this. Mm-hmm. But she was a morganatic wife. A what? I know, right? That means that she was of a lower social status than the Duke.
1: Oh, right. So I'm imagining she's not going to get to keep, you know power and titles no yeah she
0: wasn't even allowed to mourn her husband oh wow the king forbade it
1: oh what a dick move
0: yeah so she shuttered the mansion mm-hmm. she closed her theatre
1: mm-hmm. and she retired to a convent wow yeah I d- sorry I know you said retired to a convent I'm just imagining she just kind of haunts the theatre <laughs> I mean that would be cool sort of a uh, bit uh, Miss Havisham
0: mm, I was thinking um, Grimaldi oh yes yeah
1: I-, I was thinking less literal haunting. Oh, right.
0: Yeah, fair. <laughs> you think she's wandering around going, play for me.
1: <laughs> play for me, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, and also
0: gyrate those sexy hips. <laughs> so as a result of this, he didn't just lose his positions, mm. but he also lost his apartment because he was living in the mansion. Yeah. So, for a while, the new Duke of, Oli- of Orleans, who was called Philippe, um, let him have a small flat. Yeah. But he still didn't really have anything particular to do at this point. Nobody was hiring him or sort of being his patron, which I yeah. guess was how you made a living if you weren't a landowner yourself. Yeah. So, this led to a little bit of an opportunity for Philippe, the new Duke of Orleans. Okay. That's because he knew that the Chevalier needed something to do. And he also recalled that the Prince of Wales had wanted to meet him many times. Oh, okay. Because the Prince of Wales was really interested in seeing somebody who was such a good fencer. Right. So he thought to himself, let's make sure that we can send... Saint-Georges over uh, this was suggested to him by a man called Brissot mm-hmm. and Brissot also really thought that sending the Chevalier to London would be absolutely perfect to help with the abolition movement
1: right yeah
0: because as you know um, Britain was one of the first European countries to get into abolition
1: yeah, yeah sort of
0: I mean, we we started the whole thing (laughs) and then we stopped and then we went off on one and went, let's not do this anymore. It's
1: all a bit complicated. It is a
0: bit complicated, (laughs) yes. And I mean, when I talk about abolition, sometimes it's like, oh, just in England, though. Yeah. And sometimes it is people going, you know, we're not happy about this whole thing and they're not really doing anything about it for ages. Yeah.
1: I just think back to, I've talked about it before, the case where it was kind of decided that slavery wasn't allowed in England. Based solely on the fact that you know it had never formally been allowed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's
0: it's tricky. Yeah. Um. I guess in this case though, the French abolition movement didn't have nearly as much impetus behind it well, as the sense, British yeah. one did. Yeah. So he thought that because Saint George was. As he, as he put it, a man of color. Yeah. He would be the ideal person to contact the abolitionists in London and ask their advice. Yeah. Because Brissot had created a a society that was called les amis des noirs. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) Um, Oh dear! For our listeners who don't speak French, I'm not really going to translate that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It means friends of black people. Which was modelled on the English anti-slavery movement. Yeah. So I'm going to leave us here with um, the Chevalier about to head off to London and the next part of his adventures because lots happens after this and i did not want to condense it down into one episode that's fair enough
1: okay so we'll come back next time you're you're pulling a me yes you're pulling a me you started off a topic and then it's like this is far too large
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we've already established him as an amazing musician yeah an incredible swordsman Mm -hmm. basically good at literally everything he does yeah Cardi now- must have
1: been annoying
0: <laughs> like, oh man it, just, it gets worse i mean i mean just in terms of like being someone
1: around him oh yeah you know you get those people who just effortlessly brilliant at everything and it's just <laughs> like i hate you
0: <laughs> i don't know though a lot of ladies liked him and a lot of men seem to have been reasonably happy to support him as well
1: you mean that he's also a lovely guy who's great to get along with bastard yeah <laughs> <laughs> I am joking, of course. I'm sure he was a lovely man.
0: Thank you for listening to That Time When.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at ThatTimeWhen4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com.
0: The best thing you can do to support our podcast is to leave us a review on your listening app of choice. That'll help us spread our message far and wide. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in the podcast.
1: And thank you for listening. Now, go out, invest in eels, and haunt your abandoned (laughs) theatres.
0: Bye!